Good morning. Hey, if we've, if we've never had the chance to meet, my name is Phil. I get the wonderful honor of being uh, the pastor of the group of people who call themselves Clarity Church. And I uh, just want to thank you for choosing to make our gathering here uh, at Edinburgh Elementary School part of your weekend plans. Now, today we begin a new series entitled 21 Days of Prayer. And before we even begin this series, I, I just want to be upfront about a couple things before we even start. Uh, one, this series is not about prayer as much as it is a series about praying, okay? So um, there will be times, and even today, we'll talk about the kind of prayers and how people who love and follow Jesus pray. So it'll be helpful in that sense. But we're not going to be talking about prayer as much as we're going to be talking about praying in specifically. And we're launching this series because there's actually something specific that we as a church need to be praying about. I'm going to be asking us to pray about. Second thing, uh, if you're someone who's new or you're someone who doesn't really know whether you really believe everything you've heard about Jesus, the Bible, or maybe even prayer, uh, listen, Throughout this series, and especially today, you're going to hear me say things like, you should, we should, I should, together we should. You don't, uh, you don't have to do any of that stuff. Just, just want to let you know, and I think you already know that, but I think it's just helpful just to go, I know that you know that you don't have to do anything that I say, okay? Uh, but what we're going to do today is we're going to work through a passage of Scripture, and, and again, if you're one of those people who doesn't know if you believe everything in the Bible, here's what I hope. Today, I hope that today you find more clarity on who Christ is, in particular, the people who follow Jesus and what kind of lives they live, what kind of prayers they pray. And much of this series is geared towards people who call clarity as uh, you know, part of their community of faith, who call clarity their community of faith. But uh, here's, here's what I know. Uh, much, well, much of what we talk about may not be specifically geared to you, I know that there's always something for you whenever the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible is read. And so I hope that you are blessed today as we do that. Now, uh, I forgot to put this in my notes, but before you leave today, and I'll refer to this a little later, we have these 21 days of prayer, okay? So if you pick one up, um, they just cost $49.99. And, no, I'm teasing. Uh, they're free. So you just... just just pick one up, okay? This is, some of you are like, oh my goodness, I thought it said free online. <laughs> okay, uh, bait and switch. No, I'm teasing. Uh, so just grab one of these. These are for you. Uh, these, these were made by us, and um, they're, they're, we'll talk a little bit more about it. And so they're on the table on your way out, just on the left. So make sure you grab one. You can grab, every person can grab one. Is it just one for family? No, I think we've made enough so every person can have one, okay? Got it? Good. What I want us to do right now is I actually I want to invite you, because we're going to just jump right into this, I want to invite you to open whatever copy of the scriptures you have to uh, Acts chapter 4, and so whether that's an app on your phone or it's a, a Bible that you maybe will find hanging in a chair uh, near you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, we're going to be starting in uh, verse 12, and we're going to make it all the way through the verse 32, and we are going to do it because I know there's a game today, and there's wings to be fried and, you know, food to be made. So we are going to get out on time. And everyone's like, sure. <laughs> I love you guys who know me. <laughs> uh, hey, listen, if today's your first time with us, or maybe it's a first time in a while, um, 
the last series we talked about was engaging in this journey of being transformed by God. So it was a series called Renew. And the reason why we took four weeks to unpack the reality that God is willing and able to transform our lives is because of this. It takes people being transformed by God to transform the world, okay? It takes people being transformed by God to transform the world. If you are someone who says, I want my circles of influence to be influenced by the reality of who Christ is, and I want the values of the kingdom of heaven to be brought down here on earth, in my everyday influences, here's what's going to take. It's going to take a transformed people to transform the world. And there's nothing more valuable to the mission of helping people see Jesus clearly and know God the Father intimately than the people who choose to rearrange their life, to live it as family together on mission with God. Or to paraphrase one author, regardless of the style or size of your church, your greatest asset to building faith in your community is not your Bible study, your worship band, your facilities, or budget. The most valuable resource you have to help people see God are the, what? People in your church who are transformed by God. See, this is really, really, really important that you, if you call yourselves a follower of Christ, more specifically, if you're saying, you know, Clarity Church is, is my affinity and these are going to be my peeps, you need to understand that this is the foundation where we're coming from today, especially today, because I'm going to talk about some stuff and you'll be like, oh, what are we about? What are we about? And, and I need to remind you that the greatest asset of our church is what? The people. The greatest asset of our church is what? The let me just do it one more time because I just, I just don't want anyone to be like, mm, I really don't know what this church is all about. Okay, so the greatest asset of our church is the what? People. people. Okay, I just need to make that really clear. It's not the model we use. Even though I like our model, I like how we do things. I like how we position ourselves to be agents of the gospel in our community. I like it. You know, I started the church, so I get to choose how that goes, and I like it. But it's not that. It's not even the Bible studies we have. And man, we've had some Bible studies. We've, in, the, in the six years that we've been at church, we've you know, taught through the book of Mark, I mean, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I mean, we've gone verse by verse through some of these books of the Bible together. I don't even know if you, you know that. We've, we've literally walked through these, these, these portions of scriptures together. It's not even our worship band. As awesome as they are, okay, as great, as, as, and you need to know this, as much as they practice, like these guys practice, they practice and they meet, they drive, they have rehearsals. They do this because they love you and they want to see you have an environment where you can go, oh my goodness, God is awesome, God is great, and I appreciate them. Do you appreciate them? I appreciate them. I appreciate them. It's not even our technology and stuff. And these guys have knowledge that I don't even know. And you go back there, you try to run that stuff, you will go, ah, and I appreciate them, right? And sometimes they're like, ah, because it's not working right but I appreciate them. But it's not even that. It's not even our kids' ministry. It's not, a, not our cool cafe. It's not our facilities. It's not our budget. Because all of those things are simply tools, just tools. And at the end of the day, these tools require one thing, don't they? They require what? 
a people. In particular, they require a people being transformed by God. Now, why is this so important? That was kind of the lead up to everything I want to talk about today. Well, the reason why this is so important is because today we're going to be starting a journey of 21 days of I hope and this will only happen, I'm going to say this is to be the journey that we're starting, but listen, I, I know it's not going to actually happen unless you agree to do it with me, okay? But I hope today is the day we start, today is the day we start 21 days of big, bold prayers. Big, bold prayers. And before we talk about what we're going to be talking about today, I want to take one of my one of really my favorite passages that demonstrates how the early church prayed. Okay, so uh, as we close, I'm going to actually tell us why we're going to be praying over 21 days. What are we going to be praying for over 21 days? But before we do that, I think it's just really, really helpful to look back, because remember we talked about this last week. You can't know where you're going until you what? Know where you've been. We talked about that last week. So I want to look back and look at how the early church prayed early church prayed. Now, we're in Acts chapter 4, so hopefully you're there with me. But a little background. Just a couple of chapters before that, 3,000 people joined the church. It was like a huge launch, okay? (laughs) And a few days later, these guys named Peter and John, they were headed to what was the epicenter of Judaism, the temple. And so Peter and John, they were walking into the temple uh, by a gate called Beautiful, And they run into this beggar. They run into this beggar who hasn't been able to walk since he was born. And as beggars do, uh, you know, he begs Peter and John for some money so that, you know, he could do his thing and he could survive. Peter and John, uh, they look at him and they they say, look, look, man, we we, we don't have any money. We, we We don't have any money. But listen, we got something better. We got something better than that. And the beggar's like, whoa, what do you got? And, he, and, and, and this is just a cool story. They go, pick up your mat and walk. Now, it doesn't say it there, but I would imagine the beggar laughed at first, okay? I think. But eventually, here's what happened. The guy gets up, right? And then what does he do? When you've just been healed by a miracle via someone declaring, get, you know, what did he do? Well, he follows them. He starts following them, and he follows them into the temple. And the people in the temple recognize him because he's the guy who's been begging outside the temple gates for years. And they're just like, hey, see the guy? That's, oh my goodness, that's Herbert. That's Herbert by the gate. Herbert from the gate. Oh my goodness, Herbert. No, that ain't Herbert. I know what Herbert looks like. And this is what's happening. This is what's going on. I don't even, if your name's Herbert, I'm sorry. <laughs> Try to pick one that wasn't like nobody's name, but anyways. Um, but if it is... It's special. I'm not saying nobody wants it. Anyways, so let's go back to the notes. So the word begins to spread fast, and all of a sudden there's this mob that begins to surround this guy who was once unable to walk so they can get a glimpse of this miracle. See this guy walking. Goodness. And of course, this crowd comes together, and Peter, Peter's Peter, Peter's Peter, 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 pumpkin eater, um, he says, I've got an idea. I've got all these people here how about if I preach the gospel? <laughs> and so that's what he does. And he gets this captive audience, and what he does is he launches into the sermon. And by the end of the message, people start to believe, and the number of believers, as it says there in the scriptures, grew to over 5,000 men in the city of Jerusalem, which meant that 10% of the city within a short span 
had turned their attention to this new belief that Jesus was the Messiah and that he died and he rose again. It's just crazy, crazy stuff. And as you would expect, the religious leaders were what? They were ticked off. They were really mad. They were Jewish, and Peter and John were a threat to this message of Judaism. And so what did they do? They arrest him, and they threw him into prison. And the next day, they're brought before a council of leaders to explain what happened. And Peter, Peter being Peter, Peter said, well, I'm glad you asked. And he launched into another sermon. You actually got to read it for yourself. I mean, this dude was bold, okay? This dude was bold. And uh, as he concluded his message, here's his final statement, and this is where we kick off our message today. Acts 4.12, it says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That's crazy. If you realize what Peter's doing here, he just got out of jail for saying this kind of stuff. <laughs> He's like literally still wearing the orange jumpsuit. You know, he hasn't even had time to change. And he like says to his audience, we can't shut up. God's grace and his power and his love are so amazing. And look what happens next. Acts 4.13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were, they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. Some of you, I didn't put this in my notes, but I highlighted it last night because I know there's some of you out there like, oh, I really can't do the work of ministry until I know more Bible. Listen. Five plus three. Eight thousand. Eight thousand people got saved by the word of men who didn't know the scripture that good. Okay? So... It's not about your knowledge. That's another message. They also recognize him as men who had been with Jesus, and that's actually the point there. Anyways, have you been with Jesus? That's what I want to know. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John just to get out, get out of the council chamber, and they conferred among themselves. And so what ends up happening as you read there, they, they conferred among themselves, and I'll summarize the next few verses. They basically said to Peter and John, they said, look, Okay, here's the deal. We're going to let you go, but you got to shut up about Jesus, okay? No more talking about Jesus. Don't talk about the resurrection. And listen, I know we did it, but stop blaming us for the crucifixion, okay? And we're good to go, all right? And now I'm Joe Pesci. I don't know how that goes. Acts 4, 19 to 24, so we read this. Peter and John replied. What do you think they said? Yeah, they said, okay. That's fine with us. No, they said, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling everything we have seen and heard. <laughs> the council, obviously, then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. It was so crazy. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign. I mean, can you picture this, guys? The healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John, now get catch this, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they had heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices in prayer to God. Now here's the thing. Let me ask you a question. 
if this were you, Peter, James, uh, Peter and John just came back to tell you that they got thrown into prison of this and they were threatened, they almost died. What would be the next thing that you'd say to God? You almost lost Peter and John, which by the way, were the, kind of like the leaders right now in this movement called the way. How would you pray? What would you pray for? I know how I'd pray. I'd be like, oh my goodness, really? Oh, God, protect me. <laughs> I'd pray, God, bless me, cover me, watch out for me, I'm next. As far as I'm concerned, I would have probably have suggested a strategy for keeping Peter and John maybe a little bit safer next time. All right, guys? Want to lose the leaders we got? Say something like, okay, you know, Peter, let's tone this rhetoric down just a little bit. No more talking about the resurrection. Let's keep it a little bit more, uh, how the kids say, low key. Don't mention the name of Jesus anymore. I mean, you know, we, we know, we know, you know, I know, we know who Jesus is. But anytime we mention that name, things just kind of start to stir. And so, Listen, don't you have any good sermons on like love or prayer or kindness? You know, people kind of love that thing. And then Peter, John, when this thing kind of blows over, you know, we can, uh, you know, we can like ramp back up, you know, with the Jesus thing and then the resurrection things. But, you know, for now, I just, I don't think it's wise, like, to keep telling people that there's like salvation and like only, I mean, ugh. Uh, I mean, we believe it, but like, ah, it's so offensive to people that there's only salvation only in Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you're better than me, but that's kind of how where we go. That's how our mind naturally thinks. But watch what the early church did. Look at how they prayed. When they heard the report of all the believers uh, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voice together in prayer to God. And here's what they said. Oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. You spoke long ago by your Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with feudal plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. So they believed that God was sovereign, allowing everything that had just had happened to happen according to what? His plans. And then they get to the prayer request part, which is kind of how some of us start our prayers. You know, they started by recognizing who God was and remembered that and let that guide their prayers. I think that's, that's really an important thing to remember when we go to the Lord in prayer. 
But in any case, God does want to hear what we ask for. And so here's what they pray. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great protection. <laughs> give us great ammunition and swords and strong soldiers and kung fu skills. No. What do they pray for? What do they pray for? Boldness. Great boldness. What? In doing what? In preaching. The, it wasn't just boldness to stand against. It was boldness in doing the very thing that they knew <laughs> would cause them the greatest discomfort. But it was the thing God was calling them to. Time out. Isn't boldness that very thing that caused tension, <laughs> right? I mean, is it the reason why Peter and John were even arrested and all this riot started happening because, because someone was actually bold enough to look at someone and say, you know what? Hey, John, you got any money? Oh, I ain't got no money. Remember Jesus said, all these things we will do and even greater. Oh, Dude, let's pray right now and believe. God can heal this man. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Hey, Herbert, <laughs> get up and walk. Boom! Mob. Hey, dude, we got a crowd here. Don't go there. Watch me. Don't do it. Watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Hey, everybody, I got your attention. Oh, Peter. Why don't you just go walk on water or something? I don't know. Right? Boldness is what got them where they were at. Why would they pray for that? Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> Have you ever prayed for boldness? When you think of your prayers that you have prayed, whether recently or in the past, have you prayed for boldness? Is it even in like our vocabulary as Christians in the 21st century to, be, to pray for boldness? I, I don't know. I'm just asking. It's just a good question. Do you know why the message of Jesus made it into this century that we are in right now? It's because long, long ago, in the first century, Christians prayed for boldness. But they also prayed for something else. Catch this, verse 30. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It's crazy. Now, I will admit this verse is easy to overlook because of the craziness we've seen in certain kinds of churches. I grew up in a lot of those kind of churches. And we tend to be skeptical when it comes to signs and wonders. But listen, the disciples prayed this way because they wanted the community to know God. They weren't concerned. They weren't enamored by signs and wonders and miracles. They loved their community that was lost and needed to know Jesus. And so they prayed for the very thing they knew that would help their community know who God was. And so they asked for this big, bold prayer. 
God, stretch out your hand with healing, do miraculous signs and wonders, done through the name of Jesus, so that the community would know that you are God. And the context of this prayer is, God, do something powerful so that it can point to you. That was the purpose of the miracles. That was the purpose of the signs. And what if you and I prayed prayers like this? God, would you stretch out your hand? Do something through our church. Do something within my secular community. Do something in, uh, among my anti-church friends. Do something with my friends who, who've been burned by religion. And, and would you do something so powerful, so powerful through your church, not for my benefit, but for yours? <laughs> Can you imagine what would happen if every one of us added to our prayers. And God, would you give me boldness in my everyday circles of influence? Would you do that, Lord? Would you give me boldness with every opportunity, with every person, every minute, in every place? Would you, go, give, would you give me boldness, God, so that I would see opportunities and then take those opportunities Opportunities? Would you use me to cause people who've written you off or the church off to give you a second chance? Not for me, but for you. Acts 4.31. The believer said this, you know, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. And here we get this, this idea of God actually moving. And he said, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. Something supernatural took place at the end of their prayer. And look what happens. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned wasn't their own. And so they shared everything they had. That, my friends, was the miracle that they prayed for. Along with this prayer for boldness is an outbreak of extreme generosity with their resources, their time, their talents, so on, on and on. Why? Because they were outsider-focused. Here's a question. What if our prayer as a church was... <clears throat> God, give us boldness to leverage our resources for something that has nothing to do with us. Because history has shown us is that if we don't pray those kind of prayers, then we will eventually turn inward. We will be selfish. We will be consumeristic. We will be only concerned with ourselves. And so, Here's the key question that I want to ask us all today and then I'm going to talk a little bit just in the time I have remaining about how we're even going to attempt to answer this question. But the key question, key question is this. Where do our prayers need more boldness? Where do our prayers need more boldness? That's the question that we're kicking off this whole thing for. Where do our prayers need more boldness? Many years ago, I read what I want to read to you in a book that has really deeply shaped the way I understand what it means to, to be a leader, 
to be a pastor within the church. And the, the author wrote this, the role of leadership within the church is to cultivate environments wherein the Spirit of God might call forth and unleash the missional imagination of the people of God. Oh my goodness, I read that, I highlighted it, I underlined it, and I, that, that's, a, that's, a great, that's a great vision. The, the role of leadership within the church is to cultivate environments where the Spirit of God might call forth and unleash the missional imagination of the people of God. 2013, some of you were there, was a year that personally I put in everything I knew what it meant to be a leader and, and a pastor. And then with a, a small group of people together, we begun to create we began, begun. Some of you are going to get me for that later. You're like, well, that's all I ever heard. Didn't hear anything else because you use bad grammar. Well, okay. All right. We began, we begun, whatever it is, we began. See, I put begun in here. We began to create environments where the Spirit of God, where we believed and begged and asked the Spirit of God to call forth and unleash the missional imagination of the people of God. And this was deeply meaningful to me. Trust me. It was very deeply meaningful to me and my wife to see that God was building his church. Like, <laughs> hello, church. <laughs> Every Sunday, I get to look in your faces and go, look what God did. God did this. And it's deeply meaningful to me to know that God did this and that I would be given the honor of having a small part in seeing this Clarity Church be birthed. But what started as a church of Sunday gatherings eventually became a church that embraced the idea that God could send us as missionaries into the everyday rhythms of our lives. And while some are confused about how a church can be both missional and putting energies into you know, these things like regular Sunday gatherings, I have tried to remind us that it isn't a decision of this versus that. We are not choosing to be missional versus having, you know, gatherings on Sunday and, and how that plays into a discipleship process. The healthy choice, I've said this before, is both. In fact, uh, in his doctoral dissertation and thesis on the study of churches that are succeeding at the missional community model in America, uh, Dr. Matthew Murphy reported this in his study. He goes, he writes this. He goes, although many missional community leaders did not want to say that a weekend worship gathering mattered to a missional community thriving, <laughs> and this is what frustrates me. I, until I read this, I'm like, oh, I get it now. Because you talk to all these missional guys, they're always like, oh yeah, Sundays, you know, it's not about the Sunday, it's not about the Sunday. And I'm like, okay, okay, it's not about the Sunday, it's not about the Sunday. And then I would get frustrated because like, like something is missing in this. And we get this, we, every day, every rhythm in, in this study, like check this out. He goes, 90% of missional communities that thrived <laughs> were part of a worship gathering with critical mass of 50 or more. They had, and if you read the rest of this article, if you want, I can send it to you. But while out of one mouth they said, no, we exist for a community, the 90% of those actually thriving as mission communities did gather, just like we do. And, they, and I think for the sake of missional vision, they, they downplayed the Sundays. But don't be mistaken that what we do here doesn't matter. In fact, it does matter. 
from seminary to armchair theologian, there's been much talk in the recent decade about the need for churches who want to live on mission to exegete the culture they're in. And I'm running out of time, and so I don't want to read this whole thing, but just go ahead and put it up there. Uh, and in fact, what I'll do is maybe I'll tweet this out or put it on Instagram. You just need to read this. But this idea of exegeting our culture, and we need to do this, okay? So I, I just, I don't want to read it right now. But listen, I love that our church has missional communities that meet in homes. I love that. I love it. I think we're stronger for it. They are the context we put our most energy into when it comes to discipleship and relationship for those that are a part of Clarity Church. But here's the thing, though. Missional communities in our culture and in our context, in our culture, I mean the wider culture, Brooklyn Park, West Twin Cities, our context, suburban Minnesotans, okay? Missional communities are not the most inviting and really the most logical steps that people take when they personally engage in taking next steps of faith. In fact, most of you are here today because you walked through the front door of one of our gatherings. And for many of you, before you really bought into our belief and practice of the concept that God desires each of us to be missionaries in the everyday rhythms of our lives, not just on Sundays, the thing that made getting to know clarity was the fact we had gatherings. Elementary schools have been an awesome context to gather people to experience the reality of the gospel of Jesus on Sunday mornings. However, and here's the point, we know we can't stay here forever. Can't stay here forever. Here's a couple reasons. One, most of our people don't know we exist six days a week. They don't know we exist. They don't know we exist. We can send out flyers. They throw them away. We can put our flags out, which are only out for four hours at best. And when we do put them out, because it's winter, so I usually tell people, yeah, don't get frostbite. Just put up the A-frames. That's fine. Don't put the flags out. But people don't know we exist. Two, there are still others who would never, never, ever, ever consider trying church in a school. I had a massage therapist. Uh, I was at the chiropractor, and I was talking to her, and she was like, oh, yeah, here, you're a pastor. And I'm like, yeah, and I told her what we do. <laughs> I kid you not. It's like, oh, where do you go? Where's your church at? I was like, oh, well, we meet at a school in Edinburgh. And she goes, ooh, oh, good for you. Like, literally, that's what she did. She goes, ooh. And then she catches up. She goes, I mean, like, I mean, I, I just, I could never do that. Like, I could never go to us. Like, that's just weird, okay? Um, And listen, I know that some of you might want to call those people shallow and consumeristic. I get it. Some of you might want to say that. I want to say that. But let me ask you a question, a question that God, when I think, started thinking that, listen, does God desire that self-centered consumeristic people be conformed and transformed to the likeness of Jesus? Does God want that? I think he does. And if your answer is yes, then we have a responsibility to exegete our culture to actually study it and know how best to reach them with the gospel. Now, let me be clear. Over these next 21 days, we're going to be talking about why 
Um, I, and I think a lot of us who call Clarity Home, as we've been talking, this is not new information. If it's new, it might be for some of you. But for a lot of us, we've been talking about this already. But it's time for us to begin looking for a more permanent home, a permanent launching pad to connect people in our community with clarity. Some people call it church building. I do want to let you know that this is not about being more comfortable. I think those of you who know me, this is not what it's about. It's not about not having to set up. I used to be a church planner, and then I got a nice comfy job at a really large church. I was like, hey, I finally arrived. And then after living in that environment for a while, I'm like, oh, you know what? It wasn't all that I thought it would be. And so the idea of setting up and tearing down, saying that, like, we, we'll, we'll go back and forth. This is not about setting up and tearing down. This is not even about having a place to call our own. Like, oh, we got our own place. Oh, it's cool. I feel, I finally feel validated. If you need, if your church needs to have a building for you to feel validated as a church, then please move on. Like, I say that, like, gently. But, like, please go. There are tons of really quality churches that I could show you that have amazing buildings, and they preach the gospel. You will totally not be comfortable here. <laughs> you need that. So and this is not about this, having our own place. This, the reason why I'm talking about this is because it's a vision issue. From the very beginning, God has, has been calling us to be a people transformed by God to transform the world. And as I said in the beginning, it takes a people being what? Transformed by God to transform the world. The vision of our church has always been about seeing people's lives transform with the clarity of the gospel of Jesus. And if we're serious about that vision, we need a launching pad to accomplish that. I don't know if you know this, but just in Brooklyn Park alone, we've got over 36,000 people who are not connected to a community of faith. Literally, they are at home right now sleeping or prepping for the Super Bowl. 36,000 just here in Brooklyn Park. I'm not even talking about Champlain. I'm not talking about Osseo. I'm not talking about Maple Grove. I'm not talking about Crystal. I'm not, I'm not talking about any of the other surrounding cities. 36,000. That should bother you if you actually love Jesus. And they're definitely not finding themselves at a church gathering on a Sunday. And listen, if we exegete our culture, having a building will allow us not only to reach significantly more people for Christ in our area, but will allow us to do more for the kingdom of God. So think of the building not as something that we will use to kind of draw more people into our church. That's really important. It's not about increasing our church size. I don't care about that. And those of you who know me know I've never prayed, God, make our church big. I've always prayed, God, let us have the opportunity and the blessing and the honor to do ministry for the long haul because what I know makes the most difference in a community is the gospel over the long haul. As, G, as, as one uh, writer would say, it's, it's long obedience in the same direction that defines what is discipleship. And so our goal is to actually increase God's kingdom and at this point, we don't know whether that means purchasing land, building it, or finding existing buildings and renovating or leasing all the different options. But listen, here's the thing. Here's what I know. We need to pursue it. We need to pursue it. Now is the time. And we also know that it's hard to go shopping without money in your pocket. 
You know that if you're familiar with that, that form of speech. And if we want to be able to purchase space or land as it becomes available, we need to be financially able to secure that space. So the question is not whether or not Clarity needs a building now, okay? The question is whether we believe Clarity will need a building two, three, five, seven years from now. When we're no longer a young church, when we can no longer claim that we're new, when we're no longer we can say, oh, we're a church plant. When did you plant? Oh, like 20 years ago. Oh, you're just a church that can't grow up. And we are, if you don't know this, we're approaching our 10th anniversary. We're getting closer and closer to it. And this brings us to why we're launching this series. So as the band makes their way up to the stage to lead us in a song, one last song, about boldness, uh, I pray that all of us who call Clarity home, or maybe you want to call Clarity home, you haven't decided yet, I want to invite you And even through this, that you'd begin to pray about how God would lead you to engage as part of this missional effort to reach more people with people for Jesus. We need to pray like the early church did and ask the question, how does God want to use me boldly to make this vision a reality? And over the next 21 days with the help of these prayer guys, remember, make sure you grab one of these. These are a gift for you. And we're going to be focusing our time in communities. If you're part of communities, if you're not, now's a great time to get involved because during our community gatherings, we're going to focus our time about this vision and about what we're praying about and what God's speaking to us. And so that's a really good, you'll know what we're talking about. Really, you just want to jump in. Check that out. And so over the next 21 days, as we intentionally pursue through prayer this request of God lead us to to what we believe is this calling towards maybe a a launching pad, a more permanent home. As we do this, I hope that all of us would make a commitment. I hope you would join me. I'm asking you. I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. Would you pray for clarity? Would you pray for clarity?